Thank you for listening to the QB Spotlight Podcast. Welcome back. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, I'll go and introduce the voices here. My name is Eric Henry. I am a FIU beat writer for SB Nation, as well as a Conference USA podcast host. But we're not worried about that podcast today because we're joined by the man himself, Steve Hamner, the man behind the QB Spotlight Twitter page. You've probably seen his work all over Twitter in terms of his breakdowns of G5 football and G5 quarterbacks and specificity. Steve, how's it going, my man? Yeah, things are good over here, Eric. We are right in the middle of the uh, MLB offseason, so we've got about two more two more months till spring training, so we're grinding through, but uh, all is good on my end. How about yourself, man? I'm doing all right, man. I know the uh, – you and I being located in the southern parts of the nation, you know, we probably aren't having the weather issues some of our friends up north are having. You know, I just did a, a radio hit in Arkansas where they were complaining that the weather was 23 degrees and rainy, and, uh, or maybe it was 32 and rainy, because I think, I think 23 would give you a little bit of snow. But regardless, whatever it was, you know, I know it's nothing compared to the 80s I've got going on down here. So I think we are a little bit luckier than our friends in the northern climates in terms of having warm weather and not being, you know, subjected to that typical winter uh, wonderland I, I, i'm with you man let's 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 stay out of the cold and stay in the weather we can wear flip-flops if we need to you know <laughs> most definitely but before we you know launch into our weather channel routine we'll go ahead and launch into what you're here for which is the podcast once again thank you for joining us again we'll be breaking down a couple of the quarterbacks you'll be seeing in the bowl games in the upcoming week and we're going to start with a matchup here of an AAC quarterback versus a CUSA quarterback. And uh, we've got SMU and FAU in the Sherry Bundy Boca Raton Bowl. I think I got that sponsor right. So, you know, feel free to sponsor the podcast in a later date. But in the meantime, I think I just got that one right. Steve, I just want to go and give you a chance to, you know, give us your outlook on SMU and FAU. And uh, we'll see what we got from there. Yeah, Eric, before I jump into this, I'm curious if you had the same initial thought that I had when I first saw the matchup between SMU and FAU. One, it was this could be potentially the most entertaining bowl game of the season. And two, there's going to be points and a lot of points. I'm just curious if, if your thoughts were similar to mine when you saw who was playing each other in the in the Boca Raton Bowl. Yeah, I actually do kind of have that same kind of thought there. I mean, when you when you look at the games, at least the, the initial ones that we'll preview on this podcast here, I think the only one that maybe could kind of give them a run for their money might be FIU and Arkansas State, just based on the fact that Arkansas State's defense has struggled all year, and, and obviously Arkansas State likes to put the put the ball in the air and they'll put up points. Uh, I don't necessarily see that coming from UCF and Marshall. I think that might be a one-sided game. And then the same thing with Louisiana Tech and Memphis. I don't think that's going to be, you know, an air and out type game. I mean, the quarterbacks will get their chances, but in terms of points on the board, I don't think that you're going to see that many because those teams are a little more evenly matched. So, yeah, I do think this will be the highest scoring contest so far. Yeah, it, it's so – so bo both quarterbacks here, Eric, are, are, are so similar, and, and both teams are very similar, especially offensively. So just for uh, some perspective, so FAU has scored 40 points or more six times this year and SMU has scored 40 points or more eight times this year in a game. So, so combine those two for 14 times, these schools have scored 40 points in the game. So I, I know we're both not betting men, but uh, whatever the, the total points is, I'm going with the over for sure. Uh, but, but as, as each team is similar, so is each quarterback. So Chris Robinson with FAU and Shane Bouchelle with, with uh, SMU both are transfers from the Big 12, so, and uh, 
with uh, Shane, Shane Bouchelle being from Texas and Chris Robinson being from OU. So they both transferred from probably the two biggest schools in the, in the Big 12. They both have go-to guys with Shane Bouchelle being James Prochet, one of the best receivers in the American Conference, and Chris Robinson being Harrison Bryant, who is probably, if not the best tight in the nation, definitely one of them, uh, and he'll be playing on Sundays very soon. So so they, they're very similar, and I don't think any team has an advantage at quarterback because they're such similar guys. We'll, we'll see in some other games we preview. Uh, some teams definitely have an advantage at that position, but – this is one of the games where uh, both quarterbacks have seen a lot of action. This is Chris Robinson's second year starting for FAU. And even though this is Bruchelle's first year starting at SMU, he started as a freshman at Texas and played here and there at times uh, the past few years whenever Sam Ellinger came in. So Bruchelle has seen some success at Texas before going to SMU. As far as the characteristics go, that's where there are some differences. So, so Robinson probably has a stronger arm out of the two. And he's probably a bit more athletic and just a better pure athlete, a little more dynamic in nature. Uh, but Bichelle is probably going to be a bit more accurate than Robinson, which is impressive as, as SMU's offense, even though even though FAU's offense takes shots down the field and throws a lot, SMU's offense takes more shots down the field as part of their actual offensive game that opens up the rest as FAU will have some shorter to mid-range stuff that open up the deep balls like, like most offenses tend to have. Uh, but Bichelle's probably got a, got the uh, the accuracy component over Robinson for right now. Um, Robinson probably did a little better job taking care of the football this year, but that's to be expected as SMU throws it deep and throws it often. Uh, Robinson had a, had almost a five-to-run uh, ratio from touchdown to interceptions. He had 26 touchdowns to six interceptions this year. Uh, Bichelle had 33 touchdown passes to nine interceptions, which is still a, a pretty darn good ratio. Uh, but it just shows the uh, the ability Robinson had this year for taking care of the football, which is one of the big reasons why that they won Conference USA. So I, I think uh, out of all the games we're previewing, this is this is the this is the matchup where each quarterback compares uh, pretty evenly with each other. SMU is favored by by a field goal going into this game, so I think I'm going to lean SMU SMU here in a shootout. But if you're a fan of of offense and quarterback slinging it. This could be a, a sneaky good game to tune into uh, starting Saturday. Steve, really quick, if you were to just have one characteristic about both these quarterbacks that you like in specificity, what would that be? Man, one characteristic, eh, that's a good question. Uh, if, if I'm thinking Bichelle, I'm thinking uh, just accuracy. Uh, and maybe that's, maybe that's biased because I watched him at Texas often. He threw a bunch of short to mid-range throws. Um, but I, I think he's just an accurate guy in general. And, and Robertson, if I had just, just one uh, character trait or, or, or one thing about him is his ability to make plays whenever the play isn't there. That doesn't necessarily mean him running, uh, but just him going through his reads and finding a second and third receiver. And I, I think you'd probably agree with this. You probably watched him more than I played, but uh, if you compare last year to this year, the way he went through progressions is, is tenfold. Uh, so to wrap that up, Michelle, accuracy, and Robinson going through progressions and just being coachable. Okay, and, and, and you mentioned that with Chris Robinson. I, I would agree with both of them there, both those uh, assessments. Think of Chris Robinson, the major thing that we saw down here in Florida, which is him taking the next step off the field and you know, kind of putting his um, I don't want to say transgressions, but just kind of, you know, taking that next step as a leader and as a person. He's, obviously, these are young kids we're talking about, so that's 
will be, you know, prone to happen with some of these kids. And, you know, it looks like he's taking that next step and has had a heck of a year so far as we transition into our next game, which will be the one that I will be covering, the Camellia Bowl, coming from Montgomery, Alabama, between FIU and Arkansas State. And the two quarterbacks we'll be talking about would be James Morgan and Lane Hatcher. Steve, take it away. What you got for us, buddy? Yeah, and I'm definitely excited to hear what you have to say about this one, Eric, just since you're covering FIU and you've seen Morgan play the past two seasons. Uh, but it, anyone that, that keeps up with this level of football, I think it's safe to say that they would all agree that FIU has advantage at the quarterback position with James Morgan. He's played in a lot of games, not just at FIU, but at Bowling Green as well. And he's, he's had a lot of success, especially at FIU. And uh, he, he's, got a, he's a veteran guy with the NFL future. And so while he may have the while FIU may have the advantage at quarterback, I think Arkansas State, I know we're talking mainly quarterbacks, but the but receivers play a big role in, in quarterbacks. But I think Arkansas State is going to have the advantage at the wide receiver position, which bodes well for Lane Hatcher, uh, the quarterback at Arkansas State. Arkansas State arguably has the best wide receiver core in all of group of five football and one of the better ones in all of college football especially Omar Bayless, who's an NFL talent. If you haven't seen that guy play, any listeners, please go type into YouTube and just, just watch him play. So, Eric, before we keep going in with the quarterbacks, I, I'm interested to see what your take is on FIU's defense and are they going to be able to stop or slow down Arkansas State's wide receivers? Because a lot of times, Hatcher just throw it up, throw up a prayer, and those guys go and make plays. Yeah, it's interesting you make that point, and I had been talking about this in my game preview and things leading up to this contest, is that if that's going to be the case, FIU is going to be able to capitalize on that, mainly because, and if you look at the statistical rankings, FIU is ranked sixth in, the, excuse me, sixth in all of FBS football in terms of passing yards allowed, fewest passing yards allowed, I should say. Um, and the thing is this, that FIU has a lot of talented DBs, but additionally, they have sizable DBs. Dorian Hall's a 6'5 safety. Stanley Thomas Oliver III is a 6'2, 6'3 cornerback. Isaiah Brown's a 6'1 cornerback. Richard and Richard Dames are, though they're on the smaller end of 5'10, 5'11, but still very capable of intercepting passes as well. So I say all that to say this. I believe that FIU's DBs are probably a little bit better than the quality of DBs that Lane Hatcher may have faced in the Sun Belt outside of, say, maybe a Appalachian State or a team like that. So if that's going to be the game plan, you know, it's not to say that he doesn't have talented receivers. You know, he has Omar Bales, who you mentioned, and, and a couple other guys as well. But I just think you're not going to be able to kind of play that street ball with FIU and not expect that one or two mistakes. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great point, Eric, especially with the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the competition aspect and the competition factor. Um, and, and, and kind of piggybacking off what you just said as we're, as we're going to start talking about Hatcher, the, the, the quarterbacks in this game, James Morgan and Lane Hatcher, are, com- are completely different quarterbacks. And the, the last game we previewed with uh, Bouchelle and Robinson were very similar quarterbacks, whereas this game they're very different. Hatcher is a, a red, the redshirt freshman transfer from Alabama, and he has relied, he's had a great true uh, redshirt freshman year. I don't want to take anything away from him. I think he has a chance to be one of the best quarterbacks in the Sun Belt next year and, and the years going on. He's got a lot of talent around him, and I, he's had the luxury to rely on that talented receiving core, uh, as as we just mentioned previously, especially with Bayless leading the way. Uh, and and it's interesting you brought up the fact that uh, 
I forgot the exact ranking you, you brought up, but you brought up FIU's pass defense. And, and Hatcher has thrown nine interceptions this year, and he took over maybe week four or five for Logan Bonner when he got hurt. And so th- I think the key for Hatcher and for Arkansas State, if they want to win this game, is, yes, get their balls to a playmaker, but to take care of the football because you know James Morgan is going to take care of the football. So Hatcher used to take care of the football, and and I think if, if they want a chance to win this game, and they actually are favored, at least they were at the beginning of the week, but if they want to win this game, I think they need to jump ahead early and make FIU play catch-up because if FIU makes Arkansas State play their brand of football, I think FIU is probably in the uh, good position to win. Uh, and so that leads us to, to James Morgan. I think, uh, and, and you briefly touched on it, and we've talked about Morgan in the past, uh, his biggest thing is to rely on his scheme that's got him successful. His coaches are going to put him and his team in, in successful and optimal situations, and they're going to rely on Morgan to throw his guys open. And that's not necessarily speaking from ball placement, but from his, his looking off safeties, his where his eyes are, his different reads, his play action. He's, he's one of the best play action quarterbacks in conference USA, and that's probably because they're under center somewhat often. But James Morgan, only three interceptions the whole season, and I think he missed either one or one-and-a-half games compared to Lane Hatcher, had nine interceptions and played in roughly, what, eight eight games or so right around if he if he started week four or five. So I think FIU has the advantage in this game. They're a more balanced team. They don't have to just rely on their playmakers making plays. So I think it's going to be a close game the whole way. Like I said, Arkansas State needs to jump out early if they want to win this game, and Hatcher needs to take care of the football because FIU is not going to give Arkansas State second chances. So I think it's a close game, but I think Arkansas – I mean, I think it's a close game, but I, I think FIU uh, holds off and, and gets the victory in the end. Steve, I want to ask you a question specificity to James Morgan. To kind of bring the listeners in a little bit into the backstory of your and I's relationship, I, I think one of the first times you really corresponded on Twitter was when I had asked you for a bit of a breakdown in James Morgan's career last year, so not this – uh, 2019 season, but the 2018 season, a little bit of a breakdown in, in comparing the two offenses that he's played in. For those of you who may not know, Morgan started his career at Bowling Green and was in an air raid system, which he wasn't necessarily recruited to play in. And then he transferred to FIU and has really kind of flourished under more of a, a traditional spread, you know, maybe a little more kind of uh, pro style concepts that you'll see. So I want to ask you this, Steve, in comparing the two James Morgans, right? What you saw at Bowling Green versus what you see here, and then kind of tr- spinning that forward to what his pro potential may or may not be. What do you see that James has done in the past two years that gives you hope that he could be, you know, one of the better uh, G5 pro prospects? Because I think when we talk about, especially in terms of Conference USA, we look at him in terms of a, of a pro potential higher than Mason Fine. And we're not just talking about height and weight. You know, I, I think there's some things that, you know, I'll let you touch on that you see in terms of James's pro potential. So what do you see in things that he's done uh, in terms of his his fit in an offense that may or may not be a, a good fit in translation to the next level. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and you brought the the different the two different schemes and and we're actually going to touch on this uh, in the next uh, uh, preview when we get into Isaiah Green and and uh, and why he has been somewhat inconsistent to say the least. But but back to Morgan, his uh the way that he was able to respond to that more pro style offense at FIU is going to be very attractive to NFL teams. Uh, his, his reads and the fact that say if it's a three-step drop, which will, again, we're going to talk about this and with Isaiah green, but just for example, if it's a three-step drop, when that back foot hits 
the ball's coming out. He's got one read. He's re- reading that one read. He doesn't have, you know, three different reads he has to go through. He's got one read, and each read is on top of each other. So I think he understands the system. And, and once you understand the system, you can make players around you better, which James Morgan has had. Uh, not to say uh, Morgan doesn't have a talented receiving core around him, but I do think there are more talented receivers on some other teams. But the fact that Morgan knows the offense, knows the scheme, and has the ability to throw his guys open and set his guys up for success, I think bodes well at the next level. And that's something that NFL scouts uh, definitely look at and, and will definitely be evaluating. And, and I know we'll touch on this later on in a later podcast when we talk more draft stuff. But I think the biggest thing is this his scheme and making guys around him better, which some quarterbacks can do and then some just can't. Glad you were able to clarify that. I think that's an interesting point because I think a lot of people, the casual football fan will look at spread versus air raid and they'll kind of confuse the two because they'll just see a bunch of receivers out there on the field and think that there's one or the other, right? They'll have to think, all right, with it's spread if you got a bunch of receivers out there or if it's air raid if you got five receivers out there and not understanding that there's a lot of nuances between both offenses that can really make or break a quarterback. It's not just plug and play in that regard. But as you go and transition to the next game, it will be the one come, taking place, you know, coming from my hometown, Tampa, Florida, the Gasparilla Bowl. I'm the sponsor, if my memory serves correct, should be the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl coming from Raymond James Stadium here in Tampa, Florida. And it's going to play a contest between F, excuse me, not FIU, UCF, another Florida school, UCF and Marshall. And the two quarterbacks will be Isaiah Green and Dylan Gabriel. So I'm going to toss it to you. What kind of breakdown do you have on those guys and what do you see? Yeah, awesome, Eric. Are you are you gonna you gonna end up going to the game real quick? It's in your backyard. I know you're you're steps away from the stadium. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not 100 percent sure in what capacity I'll be going, whether I'll be covering the game or going as a fan. But I will be going one way or the other. That's a fact. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, uh, yeah. So so the to to go back to to Gabriel and Green, I want to touch on Gabriel first. Um, so UCF are heavy favorites here, 17 points according to, to ESPN at the beginning of the week, and their offense is going to be tough for Marshall to stop. I just think they have more talent, and they do a good job putting that talent in a position to succeed. Uh, and they, they, they aver- their offense averaged 530 yards per game and 43 points per game, which is insane. So I, I know both teams had, quote-unquote, down years by their standards, but I think both teams could still um, – both teams have a chance next year to be to be solid teams. Obviously, UCF and assuming Dylan Gabriel continues to, make the, to take the next step off his, his stellar freshman year and assuming Isaiah Green can find some pieces and put together uh, for his upcoming junior year. But Dylan, Dylan, Dylan Gabriel, um, I think what helped break him in was the fact that he had talent around him at receiver and running back, especially at the receiver position with Gabriel Davis, who's going to be extremely tough for, for Marshall to, to cover. But that, that helped break him in as he had over you know 3,300 yards passing, 27 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. And I, I think the future is real bright for him. And the fact that he had McKenzie Milton there to, to mentor him and, and to, to, to help him, you know, transition from the high school to the uh, college level. Um, I'm interested to see Eric with, with you being a, a UCF guy uh, before I keep going on about Gabriel, what were, what were your initial thoughts and in, in watching him play? I know that UCF had several quality quarterbacks to choose from, but they chose him. And how do you think that he matches up with, with Marshall's uh, defense that you've seen play this year? 
Yeah, well, I mean, Marshall's been a tough team overall, whether that's, you know, offensively or defensively. The major thing in the offense, and this is one of the things that when I would talk to UCF fans and they would say, well, you know, we have this, we have that, I'm really excited about the team. And I felt that not necessarily they took Mackenzie Milton for granted, but here's one of the things that, you know, um, Mackenzie was able to do at a really high clip. Uh, to be honest, he did it at an abnormally high clip compared to other college quarterbacks, and that's complete the downfield ball at such a high rate. He was completing passes, my memory serves me correct, passes over 25 yards at something like a clip of, you know, over 50%, which just, you know, that, that usually, I want to say it was closer to 60%, and that usually for college quarterbacks is less than a 50-50 ball. Mm-hmm. So his ability, his ability to improvise and make plays was huge in that offense. And another key part of that offense is, you know, in order to play up-tempo, and you know this, Steve, if you want to play up-tempo, fast-break kind of basketball on, on a football field-type offense, you have to complete passes. You can't complete 55 56 57% of your passes and think that your offense is still going to work in that regard because if the ball's on the ground, you allow the defense to substitute and make, you know, adjustments and, and you know, you're starting from scratch. So that was one of the things I think was one of the biggest differences between McKenzie and Dylan that – uh, when UCF started the season early on in terms of being 4-0, 5-0, Dylan was completing a lot of passes. Now, when they had struggle, you know, it was when teams were able to force Dylan to kind of complete, you know, he wasn't a bad quarterback when he started the imagination, but when you're completing around 57 58% of your passes and you're trying to go up-tempo and fast break, uh, it just doesn't work as efficiently. So those are really kind of the two things I saw between uh, McKenzie Mill and Dylan Gabriel. And I think, you know, taking on a Marshall team that, what they're going to try to do is run the football. You know, Brendan Knox is going to get 30 or 35 carries. So they're going to try to take the air out of the football and keep the ball out of the UCF offense in their hands. And really quick, just to piggyback off something you said in terms of Gabriel Davis, and I'm going to ask this to you in the form of a question. Gabriel Davis's availability for the game is actually in question because, of, you know, all things considered, it's pretty much looking as if he's going to be taking his talents to the next level and pursuing a pro career. And it is not known whether or not he will play in the bowl game or choose to skip to prepare for the draft. So, if there is no Gabriel Davis, how do you see that affecting UCF's offense? Uh, the the offense, and you can correct me if you think differently, but I think the offense is probably going to remain the exact same. They're just going to have one less playmaker, and one, their their go to guys is not going to be there. Uh, and and I, I want to jump back to um, to to what you said about Dylan Gabriel and Mackenzie Milton because I thought you brought up a great point as far as the completion percentage goes, and and. Gabriel only about that 57, 58. I think he finished 59 point something uh, completion percentage, which you want to see that probably that 64, 65-ish range overall for, for this type of offense. And it's interesting, only two quarterbacks in the American uh, conference had uh, two starting quarterbacks had a completion percentage of better than or more than 60. It was Brady White and Shane Bouchelle, who were probably the two best quarterbacks in the conference. Um, and another thing comparing him with Milton, I know there are differences and you touched on those differences is there was something that they had similar. And uh, I don't want to you know, make this a UCF podcast, but the thing that they had similar was that calming presence about them. I don't know if it's that Hawaii blood in them or if Milton just rubbed off on Gabriel or what it was, but, but they were both very calm and collective. And when the quarterback is calm, the rest of the team is calm. So a great example was when, uh, when UCF played Pittsburgh this year, I know Pittsburgh ended up winning the game, but Pittsburgh jumped out to a big lead, like three-something scores, and Gabriel had several interceptions to start the game off. But he, he kept calm. He stayed to stayed to his offense, kept kept the, stayed in the scheme that, that the coaches planned for him, and they came back and almost won. They, they, they lost and fell short 
but still impressive to keep his composure there. So um, I think UCF is in good hands, and, and I I don't think – I think Marshall's a good team, but even if Gabriel Davis – I know to answer your question, even if Gabriel Davis does not play, I still think UCF probably wins and, and, and probably wins by a decent margin. So let me ask you this as we talk about Isaiah Green, the other quarterback in this matchup here. He's a guy who, when you actually look at his numbers, he actually – they were pretty similar between his freshman or excuse me, redshirt freshman and redshirt sophomore year. And kind of the rap on him, he's an immensely talented kid out of Fairborn, Fairburn, excuse me, Georgia, which is a kind of a suburb of Atlanta. And you look at his numbers, freshman year, he threw for 2,400 yards, 15 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Look at this year in more games, 12 starts. He was the full-time starter this year. He throws for a little over 2,200 yards, 14 touchdowns, nine interceptions. And what was really kind of unfortunate with Isaiah is, it seemed towards the end of the year, it seemed as if they were playing in spite of him, kind of saying, hey, you know, don't lose it for us, as opposed to allowing him for chances, allowing him chances, I should say, to kind of throw the ball downfield and grow. And even if you look at his yards per attempt, they're down by a slight margin. His redshirt freshman year, his yards per attempt was 7.5. This year, 7.2. Still, the completion percentage isn't exactly great. It's 56% last year, 57% this year. So just want to kind of give you, you know, Free reign. Isaiah Green, what's your breakdown on him? And just what do you see? Because I think a lot of people in Conference USA circles see an immensely talented kid who just hasn't exactly put everything together in terms of taking that next step and being one of the better quarterbacks in the league yet. Yeah, Eric, I'm, I'm with you 100% with everything you just said. And I, I want to, before I you know go into why I think he's struggling, I, I do want to be known that I do think he's very talented. He's got, he's got a, a lot of potential. He's still got two more years in school and college. And um, this is a talented guy who has just been, for whatever reason, inc- very inconsistent. And like you mentioned, they were winning despite him. He had, he had three games under with under 100 yards passing, which you just can't do unless you're, you're running a triple option offense, you know, unless you're, you're Navy or Army. And, and those three games are, are FIU, Charlotte, and Boise State. And the only game they won was the game I'm sure you, if you weren't at, you were for sure covering. Uh, was against FIU and they had to end up winning in, in overtime. And, and like you said, they won despite of him. So I, I think if I'm green going to this game, I'm just looking to one, I'm looking to shock UCF and, and two, I'm li- looking to finish with a good game and, and have some momentum moving forward. But let's get into to why I kind of think he's been struggling and inconsistent. And it goes back to your question about James Morgan and the difference from the spread offense at Bowling Green and the offense at FIU and while the offense at Bowling Green was more that Texas Tech spread them out chunk it and the offense at Marshall is much different it can still be hard to get in a rhythm whenever you're just catching a snap from shotgun you don't have a, a necessarily a three-step or five-step drop to go through and those drops help you go through pro- progressions it, most of those drops are most of these routes are timing routes and so if I'm not going through my drop necessarily I'm just hopping around my timing is thrown off and my timing is thrown off my ball is thrown off and I'm going to be inaccurate. So just like we talked about with Morgan, if I have a three-step drop or a five-step drop, when that fifth step hits, the ball is coming out. I have one read, two reads, whatever it may be, that fifth step hits, that fifth step hits, the ball is coming out. If the guy is not open, I'm throwing it away, right? Fist, five steps with a hitch, hitch being a slide up in the pocket for a deep route. I'm throwing a deep post or a deep go. Five-step drop, hitch and chunk the balls out you don't have to be under center you know for, for these steps to happen um 
but it, it's a it's a scheme and timing thing is kind of what I'm seeing with Isaiah Green. So when he gets in trouble, if you go back and watch, he kind of hops in the pocket a little bit without going through those, those drops and whenever that back foot hits without kind of firing the ball out, so to speak. So I think that hopping can kind of lead to those inaccurate throws and can lead to faulty mechanics. He'll, he'll drop his arm at times and, and, and that will lead to, to an inaccurate throw. So um, that's kind of what I've seen in that offense. And when a lot of quarterbacks struggle, that's why, especially in the spread offense, they don't have that timing to help them get into a good rhythm. So could it be scheme? Yes. Um, it could be several different things and who knows exactly what's going on in the coach's room and in the meetings, but just from film, that's kind of what I see. So with that said, he's still a very talented guy and we see glimpses of it. He throws excellent on the run. He's got a quick delivery whenever his mechanics are on point. Sometimes this takes time to put things together and, and he reminds me of their different quarterbacks, but as far as Jamar Smith's progression, he had glimpses his whole career at Louisiana tech we saw flashes of how talented he could be. And then this year he put it all together and boom, conference USA offensive player of the year. So I, I know that's kind of a long winded answer, uh, but that's kind of what I've seen these past few seasons. He's got a lot of talent, a lot of talent. I know you think highly of Merrick too, and, and you've seen him play in person. So uh, I, I think for, for, for Isaiah Green, if he can have a good game and somehow shock UCF, that's, that's going to be, uh, extremely beneficial for the Marshall program and just for his his confidence and for the Marshall fan base moving forward. No, I mean, you talked about the answer being long-winded, but I think it was a really informative answer for those, you know, who watch Isaiah Green and watch Conference USA and kind of wonder these things. So, you know, really glad you're able to get your, your perspective there and give you time to kind of elaborate on that as we transition to the aforementioned Jamar Smith, as well as another guy who you know, kind of had to move around a little bit to find his find his footing as far as his potential in college football. And Brady White, you know, he was a guy who was a four or five star prospect coming out of high school, and and it took him definitely a couple transfers to get it right. But here he is at Memphis, and Jamar Smith at Louisiana Tech. So I'll let you take it away. Awesome, yeah. So, so these two guys. The reason why I think these are interesting games is because the the teams are playing. You know, Louisiana Tech playing Miami, and then we have Memphis playing Penn State. So. Uh, J- Jamar Smith is a guy I've always been high on just because his talent, quick release, strong arm, and he's just fun to watch throw. He's one of those guys you can just watch throw all day, and that's probably a, a from a that's from a geeky quarterback perspective. Uh, but he's just got that he's just got that natural delivery that's so impressive. And and going up against Miami's defense, I think they had they they fare well. I know they're like a maybe a, a seven point underdog, whatever about a touchdown underdog, but I think they have a have a fair shot in this game. Uh, you know, Miami's already lost to one. Uh, conference USA school when, when FIU beat them and um, I think Jamar Smith has the experience playing against bigger get bigger bigger schools and I, I know they, uh, they they opened up with Texas and they got beat by 31 points and but Smith held his own he was 34 51 passing for 331 yards and two touchdowns and I know that came against a, a Texas's backups and the game was way out of reach but still he's seen that talent he's faced against that talent and Texas's backups are still pretty talented guys. So uh, I, I think that's somewhat of a similar comparison to what he's going to see from Miami. Luckily Miami's offense isn't as good as Texas's offense. So I think they've got a chance to stay in that game. Um, the, the offense, whenever Jamar Smith was starting or whenever Jamar Smith started, he missed two games this year. Uh, they scored 35 points at least seven times. So I think that, 
that this could be one of the the upsets this year with Louisiana Tech and Jamar Smith wanting to put on a good show and a, and a good last game for his NFL draft stock and, and status. And I think he's got a shot to, to make a team and to get in a camp somewhere. So a good game here would be very beneficial, not only for Louisiana Tech, but for Jamar, J- Jamar Smith moving forward. And, and, and Eric, I know – uh, you you are in Miami often covering FIU and and you were there whenever FIU beat Miami in the the uh, one of the last games of the year. So I'm just curious are are you hearing any grumblings from Miami fan base and what would the reaction be? I know this isn't you know quarterback based or or necessarily a group of five based, but what's the reaction from that fan base going to be if Louisiana Tech goes in and, and wins this game and, and drops Miami to a six and seven record? <laughs> The Hurricane fan base is already frustrated as is, so sure. for them to lose to Louisiana Tech wouldn't necessarily – I think it would put a damper because there was kind of hope that Manny Diaz had things going in the right direction. You know, they got off to a rough start early in the year, and then they kind of looked like the things were heading in the right direction, and then the FIU loss happens, and Manny Diaz called it. I was right there when he said this. He said it was one of the darkest moments in program history, and, you know, I'll let him – have at that you know i'll spare the listeners of this podcast my feelings in terms of the hurricanes uh in terms of you know their lack of success over the past 15 years but no if if louisiana tech were to go in there and win it would definitely it it wouldn't do uh, many diaz or hurricane fans any favors i'll put it to you like that but uh uh, as we transition to brady white you know one thing i i mentioned in my intro and hopefully i didn't confuse fans there is that these two teams are not or these two quarterbacks are not taking on each other uh, so this is the last few quarterbacks we're going to talk about here. But Brady White, here's my question specificity before we get into your breakdown. He was widely regarded coming out of, you know, a few years ago, I believe it was a 2016 classes, a top 10 quarterback in all of high school football in all of America. So I just want to ask you really quick, you know, what maybe have you seen in terms of his ability? Because I think everyone knows that he's a very talented guy. But Brady White, is he – is he quote unquote that four or five star guy? And of course, those rankings are so arbitrary. I hate to you know assign that to him, but is he that four or five star guy that you maybe saw coming out of high school as the potential to be one of the better quarterbacks in all the nation? Or what you've seen in the past two years is that essentially what he is? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I have a a, a great answer for that right now. I, I think this year he showed strides big time, but then right when when he was showing those strides, he would go have a game like the like the uh, the American Athletic Championship game against Cincinnati, and he was something like eighteen of forty throwing. And, and I know there were different factors that led to that. So I, his biggest knock has been his his arm strength is is mediocre. I, I think it's probably better than mediocre, but you you have people saying his arm strength is this average. And I'm not a big guy who who takes a lot of stock in people's arm strengths to begin with, um, but. I think another year of development would be huge for him. And Eric, he's a he's a junior this year, right? He's going to be a senior next year. Is that correct? Correct. No. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think another year of development would be huge. And the thing about him that you can take take you be encouraged by if you're a Memphis fan is he improved from his sophomore year to his junior year. So hopefully he can improve from junior to senior year and and, and you know prove those whatever twenty four seven rivals recruiting rankers right that he was a quality four or five star so great year this year as he had 33 touchdowns nine picks his completion percentage was was a tick over 64 and over 3500 yards passing so I, I think he 
I, I think it remains to be seen. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take the fifth and say it remains to be seen, and, and it depends how he develops next year. And, you know, it's going to be interesting this game with uh, without co- Coach Mike Norvell coaching us. He's down in Florida State now. Um, I know Penn State's, Penn State's offensive coordinator actually took the Old Dominion job. Do you know, Eric, is he coaching for Penn State this, this uh, bowl game, or is he already at ODU? Do you know off the top of your head? I do not know off the top of my head. I believe he's out recruiting, but I don't know for sure. Okay, okay. So I think that that could, you know, Penn State's often start off hot, but kind of dwindled towards the end. So that could have an effect on on the game. And, you know, if Penn State's offense isn't up to par, it's going to keep Memphis in the game, you know, because Penn State's, Penn State's defense, I don't think is going to give up a lot of points. They only av- they average giving up 14 points per game this year. And, you know, for anyone that, that watched them play Ohio State, they only gave up 28 to Ohio State. I know Ohio State shot themselves in the foot a few times, and it could have been a, a lot bigger score. But regardless, they held them to 28 points and, and made that into a grinder in the second half. So this would be by far be the best defense that Memphis faces this year. And their offense has been unstoppable in the American Athletic Conference as they've averaged over 40 and a half points per game. And, um, you know, the, a big reason is Brady White and, and his – his go-to receiver, Demonte Coxie, is one of the best receivers in college football. And, and I was, you know, uh, adamant about checking out Omar Bayless's uh, highlights from Arkansas State. Go and check out Demonte Coxie's highlights as well because he's unreal. Um, one of the best receivers in, in all of college football. And if Memphis can get him the ball and, and get him involved early, they'll have a shot in this game. They also need to keep Brady White off the turf, off the grass. So if they can scheme up a plan to get rid of the ball quick, Get to Coxie. They have a shot to keep this game close. Right now, Penn State's favored right about six and a half, according to ESPN. So I, I, I think it's definitely a game that if Brady White comes out, plays well, and even if they don't beat Penn State but keep it close and he shows out against this quality defense, then you could probably say, you know, his ceiling is higher and he, he's got that ceiling that uh, people originally thought he had. Oh, I'm sorry. He has a high ceiling that the uh, these people originally thought he had whenever he was coming out of high school and was a four- and five-star recruit. So I like Brady White. I, I like the progress that he made this year. And n- next year, uh, I'm looking forward – I'm looking for this game to help build him and, 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 and put him in the right direction for next year, even without Coach Novell. But it's going to be tough against that defense. So uh, if they can just scheme up the right plan and get rid of the ball quick and get to Coxie, then, then they might have a shot here. Great stuff. As we go ahead and get ready to wrap this one up, you know, touching on the quarterbacks coming for this week, and we'll definitely be doing this throughout the entire bowl season. So please, you know, uh, feel free to shoot us your questions. You can find us at Twitter or find Steve at Twitter, I should say, at QB Spotlight. You can DM questions there. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Feel free to DM me questions as well. I'll make sure they get to the man right there who breaks it down like nobody else. G5 football's best. Steve Hamner, thank you, buddy. You can find this podcast on iTunes and soon to be on other platforms as well. Thank you for listening and happy football watching. Check out those G5 football quarterbacks.